welcome to Dynasty Mode, a Dynasty Fantasy Football-centered podcast. You're going to be able to find us on Twitter and Instagram at DynastyModePod, and email us at DynastyModePod at gmail.com. I'm Mike McGann, and I'm joined this week and every week by Dave Bays and Kevin Duffy. How are you guys doing? Hey, what's up, Mike? How's it going? Good, good. How are you guys? Good. Great. Doing well. I um, guess we should share some of our background with the listeners. Um, I, I guess I could start that. Uh, so I covered the Patriots for Mass Live and the Boston Herald for five seasons, five and change. Um, decided to go back to school this past year, but I've always been, even when I was covering the Pats, like probably my favorite part of that was like the fantasy aspect and, you know, tracking the whole league and, and uh, knowing things for fantasy football. Um, so I've always, I've played fantasy for like 20 something years. Uh, I, our league together that we have is the first dynasty league I ever played and I absolutely love it. So that's why I'm I'm here. I love Dynasty. I love Fantasy, and I'm looking forward to doing the show with you guys. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, oh. oh, I'm Dave. <laughs> uh, I'm a biologist, scientist guy. Um, I like Fantasy. I've been doing this for probably like 20 years at least. Uh, ever since I joined like an ESPN drop-in baseball league which was really bad. But uh, yeah, I hope to, to bring some, some analytics and insights to Dynasty football. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I am like kind of the conduit between you two. I, uh, my good friend, Doug Kide, covers the Patriots for Nesson. He and I decided that, you know, we, we wanted to do a league like this so I, I pulled Dave, my former roommate, Doug pulled Kevin, and, and we kind of formed, you know, what has been a really strong league. Yeah. McGann dragged me out of the closet to, uh, to join the league. It's great. It's a pretty sweet league. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I love it. I, it, just the year-round nature of it um, makes it so much better to me than any league I've ever played in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's super fun, like, you know, when, you know, I get a text from someone in February and, you know, they're, for, for you know, maybe they just checked their league and they were like, oh, you know, like, I kind of want to get a guy from you. And it's like, oh, well, trades are really fun. And now they're happening year round. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I don't know, even and if that, your team's really bad, you can, you can scheme, try to rip yeah. people off. Make deals that uh, benefit both parties. Yeah, and I think that's you know there's there's just great depth to it. You know, yeah. you're not you know you're not picking up players off the waiver wire and starting them. That's just almost never going to happen. It might happen like week two, week three, but for the most part, you're you're riding with your roster the entire year. Yeah. I think it's just so much – there's just so much strategy that goes into it. And I feel like if, you, if you're someone who follows the NFL very closely, as we all do, a lot of your knowledge is kind of wasted in normal leagues because you know so much beyond what is required to succeed in those leagues. 
you can, as Mike said, you can pretty much play the waiver wire and improve your team that way. It doesn't really, in my opinion, take much skill. Um, there's just a lot of good players available. When you're dealing with Dynasty and you're talking about 25-man rosters, 30-man rosters, you need to be really smart about how you construct that, how you're looking toward the future, um, the types of players you're targeting in trades. It's just, if you know a lot about the NFL, that's where you can put all your knowledge to use. If you're, if you're just playing a regular redraft league, it doesn't, I feel like it's almost, it, it's a lot more luck than, than skill in those leagues. Right. I mean, I think in, in normal fantasy football, you know, you, you draft a running back and, and you have them for a year. But when you're drafting a running back now, you kind of have to look at what their offensive line looks like. When you, yeah. when you, when you drafted Ezekiel Elliott as a rookie, a big, huge part of that was he had an outstanding offensive line at that point in time. And, you know, but you can kind of ignore that aspect in a redraft league, whereas like, okay, like if he has, you know, an all-star at three positions on the offensive line, but all of a sudden two of them are going to walk, you know, maybe he isn't quite as good. I mean, ultimately Ezekiel Elliott is that good, but there are, you know, there are players who are going to be supported by their supporting cast, which you do have to take into account. Absolutely. And I think the, the other thing about dynasty uh, for people who aren't super familiar with the format or are thinking about doing it, the the most fun part of it is easily the rookie draft and even free agency, like free agency in the NFL is there's a lot of big news happening in March, April. Um, if you're in a redraft league, you can't really do anything with that at that point in time. You just start thinking about, Oh, maybe I want to, you know, go after, you know, uh, I don't know, so-and-so in, in August. But when that happens, in dynasty you can start making trades in march um you can start trading your rookie draft picks and you have the rookie draft in may and we've gone through a couple of rookie drafts now and you can see like the activity that week everyone's emailing each other and everyone's like you know moving up and down the board it's just it's it's very real you almost feel like you're you're actually like running a, a team it's very realistic yeah. yeah and if your team's doing really badly you're never really out of it because you're always trying to make your team better you know? Yeah, if, absolutely. You, you can do what you did in our league this year. <laughs> Stock up on Dave. Would you have three first round picks? Yeah. Three, three first round picks. I had, well, I had to trade Saquon away, well, which doesn't sure. feel good, but you know, sometimes so, you have to make the hard choices in dynasty. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when it comes to choices, I think one of the things that is really cool about the format is like you can put a lot more individual touches on to your league like we chose to create a uh, rookie lottery you know um for the draft you know worst team doesn't automatically get it you know just think nba style and like you know that that's a little bit fun you know i benefited it from it this year i think i you know under normal circumstances i would have had the third pick and i got the first pick yeah. and you know that's unfortunately true. you know luckily i can say you know unfortunately for somebody else they fell like three spots and you know that probably wasn't fun but like it, it it's just a cool little touch you know i think we all decided when we built this no kickers like that's a waste of time like let's not focus our energy on 
a position that's you know, not that re- fantasy relevant. Yeah, it really isn't. Yeah, no kickers, no defenses, three flexes, which I like a lot because you have so much depth that, especially wide receiver, there are probably like 40 receivers that are playable, maybe more than that. Yeah. So you really incorporate all those guys. Um, and that's, I think most, I think even redraft leagues, a lot of them should start going to multiple flexes so you can use some of the, the knowledge that you have in about the depth of the league and of some of the teams and actually put that to use. And, yeah. and I mean, I think, you know, the, all of this, there's like, I, I may be speaking, you know, only for myself, but there's like a, a sense of like camaraderie in our league. Like it feels like very much so like something that like we all own, you know, like I can say that like, I didn't know Kevin when this league started. Now we text each other a, a pretty decent amount. Yeah. You know, like Especially it, around draft time. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, and even, even, you know, I, I don't think it would be crazy like for you to text me in June to talk football. Oh yeah. No, not at all. We, yeah, we love it. I think it's, it's cool because in my, in our home leagues, I'm sure we're all, I'm probably most into it in my home league. And then, you join this dynasty league and there are other people who are just as into it as I am. Yeah. yeah it's hard to find a league where everyone's into it. And yep. I don't know. Dynasty is probably one of the exceptions. Although it's harder right. to, harder to fill one of those empty spots, one of those, uh, um, orphan, orphan teams, but that's probably something we should talk about on another episode. I mean, I think we can even touch on it a little bit now. It's just like, you know, let people know what they're signing up for. You know, you're in a, you're in a marathon, not a sprint. You, you might, you know, it might not be fun for a couple of years or, you know, it might be less fun. I, I mean, when we lost the two members of our teams, part of me was just like, it might be fun to inherit one of those teams and give my team up to somebody else. Like the challenge of taking like, you know, what was like scrap pieces and, you know, whatever you and like trying to make it into something good because i looked at it and i was like this team isn't that bad yeah so like I, I i think you know even when your team is bad you can have a lot of fun with it you can you know think like oh you know here's my draft strategy because i have you know high draft capital and you know maybe i can push this you know really good but older player to a team that needs somebody to put them over the top and get their first round pick and you know you probably can you know if you play your cards right really turn things around quickly yeah i think that's one thing that is kind of underestimated in dynasty just how quickly things do turn the league changes pretty rapidly i mean there are some guys who are going to stay and be top five of their position for a stretch of five years but that's kind of rare and especially when you get to like the running back position the league changes really quickly year to year and you can go from being terrible one year to the best team in the league the next that's probably not that uncommon in dynasty fantasy football yeah and that's the deal with rb or it has been but i think it's kind of moving to the other positions too like there's like two startable tight ends over 30 there's like there's not as many wide receivers as there used to be over 30 that are good fantasy producers I don't know. I, I think the whole league's moving younger. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we, we started at the year where, where Saquon 
was a rookie. So like his true value, like wasn't necessarily noticed in our dynasty league, but imagine the worst team all of a sudden having like essentially the one or two RB, you know, first or second best piece in all of the league. Like that's, that's a huge momentum swing. And even, even Josh Jacobs made a big impact last year. And he is nowhere near on the level of a Saquon Barkley. No. Yeah. Then that's why things can turn. I think, because not only do you get, say you get a Saquon Barkley or even a Josh Jacobs, but if your team was bad because you had younger guys who weren't playing that much. And then in that second year, they, they get bigger roles and they start playing and you get Saquon Barkley, then it really all comes together at the same time. I think that if you construct your team properly, that's, probably something that could happen pretty easily for you yeah i mean it 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 kind of just all comes back to that that deep thought idea like are you thinking long term you know are you know maybe i'm bad right now but i can see that this you know three of these guys who you know i'm starting now are trending in the right direction and like you know they might go from being like borderline flex you know matchup dependent guys right now but you can you can see them as okay in you know the next year i think i can probably start that guy every year i mean every week yeah absolutely all right Um, so why don't we talk um a little startup i guess uh i think we'll we'll get into this more in later episodes and talk more about like specific players but i think for this for this first episode, we wanted to talk about um, just like general concepts and strategies for startup uh, dynasty drafts. And we have some do's and don'ts for those startup drafts. Um, Mike, why don't you lead us off with your first do for a dynasty startup? So actually, I'm going to lead off with a don't because I started, I started our league with a massive don't. I don't know if you guys recall this. But I think because of my position as the commissioner, I was the first person able to uh, put a player up for the auction. Uh, I think it should be noted that a lot of our discussion is going to be heavily based around the auction format. I don't think many people build their teams through a snake draft. I wouldn't suggest it. I shouldn't. Uh, but, but, but it should be noted that this is, this is auction-based. Um, So I nominated Le'Veon Bell. This was the year that he was the holding out and proceeded to hold out the entire year. I didn't want him. I had no interest in Le'Veon Bell. My idea was if I put Le'Veon Bell on the block first, somebody else is going to spend a significant chunk of money, which allows me to further pursue a player that I want. So I got in a bidding war for a player I didn't really want. And I ended up with Le'Veon Bell. He didn't go. His price wasn't the highest running back, even though he was still at that point in time projected to be RB1. But I, I, can't, under, like, I can't even think how much better my team could have been that year had I not ended up with a player I didn't even want. And yeah, would you, would you spend like 40 bucks? I think I spent, no, I looked at it today. I spent $57. Ooh. I mean, I spent, I spent <laughs> like, 57. Oh, yeah. 
and I think we started with 250. So like it was a fifth of my money for a guy who never played and looks bad moving forward. And I'm not going to deny that had he played, I might've been very happy with it. But ultimately if, you know, say, you know, Dave, you want Le'Veon Bell and you actually want him. Yeah. And you know, it hits $57 and I, I bid 58 to try to get you to pay 59. Yeah. I might just let you have him. Well, you might just let me have them, but like, who cares about spending $2 of your $250? Like that's nothing. Whereas I'm spending one fifth of my total capital for nothing. Like these are like the super small things. And like people want to like milk others for their money. Oh yeah. And it's just not solid. Like, yeah, and every every victory is like where you like bid someone up, it's not really affecting your team that much. It's yeah. like diluted by like however many teams are in the league. Yeah, I yeah. mean that that two dollars you got them to spend is you know ultimately going to be probably the difference between them, you know, getting to spend three dollars on a guy instead of one dollar. It's not going to prevent them from getting their second, you know pick you know getting somebody to spend two extra dollars on christian mccaffrey isn't going to prevent them from getting Devonte adams it's going to prevent them from getting jakeem grant yeah. it, you know that's that's what you're you're looking at right and the the solution i have to it is come up with for like the first 30 or so players a price you're willing to pay and I think you can not like a player, but you can have a price that you like them at. If, if you're skeptical of what Christian McCaffrey is going to do this year, you can, you can take that and be like, I think he's going to go for 70. I'm willing to spend 60. And then you just drop out. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to a point where like, you're like, all right, like I want an elite tier player and all of the prices I've set, they've gone for more than that. And then you're in this weird position of picking up like uncertain backfields, um, you know, like just, it, it could screw you over in the long run. But I think if you, if you ultimately have a budget and perhaps you even adjust it, top four running backs go off the board, you're willing to budget five more dollars to the fifth one because you know he he his value has gone up because that that elite level of uh, production is still necessary for your team. Yeah, and, and it's sometimes best to like spend all your money like fairly fast because then you get some of the players you actually want, and you're not yeah, I mean, stuck at the end with like hundred bucks to spend on like 20 players right i mean dave and i we are in a redraft league together and a good friend of ours constantly finds himself with a ton of money left over and like that's not your goal either like you don't want you know i don't think you want your pick of the litter of the bottom of the barrel 
but you also don't want to be like, all right, Joe Mixon, I got him for $48 and I don't feel great about it. Sure. No. Yeah. I think that, the, the point about driving up prices, I, I'm fully on board with um, nominating players you don't want because you want everyone else to spend their money, but there's, I'm, I'm willing to throw the name out there, but once people start bidding in like $1 increments and it's looking like the next bid might actually have some reasonable chance of winning, I'm totally dropping out. As Mike and Dave both said, I'm getting someone to pay two or three more dollars just is not, it's not worth it. And I normally approach auction drafts and it might be a fault of mine, but I'm far more concerned with what my team is looking like than what everyone else is doing. I don't really care about, even if someone gets a good deal on, on, um, I don't know, say like Todd Gurley goes for like 30 bucks and you think he should have gone for 35 is fair market value, but you don't really want him. Like whatever, someone got Todd Gurley at a, at a, a very small discount. That's, you can't like ruin your draft because you're afraid that other people are getting discounts on players. I think you have to stick to your approach and the players that you want. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. It's you know, I think every every draft you're gonna you're gonna look at your your team and you know, as further and further you get away from it, you're gonna go, Oh, I really underpaid for that guy. I really um overpaid you know, it's just gonna level out. Like, you know, sometimes you're gonna get a steal. Sometimes you're yeah. not. Like that's just that's just the nature of the game. You can't you can't get bent out of shape over that aspect of it. Just you know, don't don't worry about worry about your money and nobody else's is, yeah. is what I'm really ultimately getting at. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's yeah. not poker. It's, there's no, you shouldn't bluff. Yeah. There's no, you don't bluff. Like you don't win. You don't you, win. You, you, you know, <laughs> like you, you know, in poker, you, you have the potential to win. Like at, you, I don't want, I didn't want to win like beyond bell. And that was, <laughs> you know, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. Oh, so that yeah. that is my don't. Do not get in a bidding war. You can solve it hopefully with just a a good solid budget for the top ranked players. Makes sense. Uh, okay, I will do my don't next. My don't is don't try to hedge and thread the needle of trying to in your startup draft put together a team that you think is going to be great for the long term, but also can win right now i just think it's it's difficult to pull that off it's not impossible but i think a lot could go wrong when you're trying to do that i prefer to commit to one or the other um it's my strong preference and i i'm only in a few dynasty leagues but i've done this in both it's my strong preference to go super young and not really care about what happens the first year because and that's that's especially true at running back because if you draft a lot of young running backs, maybe some of them aren't going to do much in the first year, but the second year you often see those guys skyrocket in value and suddenly your team can look pretty dominant um, in year two, year three, uh, and year four. Um, but if you don't want to do that, I think that there's there's some merit to going like with a more veteran look in a dynasty draft and trying to win right away because you can get in a startup draft right now Guys who are going to be productive in 2020, like um, Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette, Chris Carson, you can probably get those guys for pretty cheap. And if you have, I mean, I don't know what the number would look to, to get all four of those guys, but those guys are all probably going to be 
top 20 backs this coming year. And that would put you in a pretty strong position for to contend for a 2020 championship. Now, the problem with that is they're all going to lose value pretty quickly in 2021, 2022. So you might have more of a rebuild ahead there and you'd have to hit on some draft picks, maybe hopefully swing some trades and accumulate some extra picks. But I think you run into trouble when you go with like Gurley and and DeAndre Swift and uh, I don't know, like in, and like Carson. If you have like a mix, you could have guys who, okay, Gurley and Carson might give you something this year. Swift doesn't really give you that much this year. And then by the time Swift is good, you basically have – Gurley and Carson have very little trade value, so you can't really move them for anything, and and then you're thin. Um, so I'd prefer to go one or the other. I don't know what you guys think. Um, yeah, well, I, no. so I have a question for you on that. Sure. So, like a theoretical, would you prefer to get Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey? You know, arguably top two running backs. I think Saquon's the only guy who could, you know sneak into that argument and maybe maybe two uh, or would you feel more confident maybe getting Clyde Edwards Alaire, Swift, Dobbin, like you know four of those you know unproven backs? I'd go for it's my strong preference if I'm picking between the two strategies to go young. I'd go for young unproven backs and the four of them probably cost less than McCaffrey and Zeke combined, probably maybe by a significant amount. And that's going to give you more money to spend other positions. So I think you, if you go with all young running backs, you can probably build out a pretty strong receiving core right away and maybe do well at tight end and quarterback too. And then you just kind of have to wait that, that one year because your wide receivers and your tight end in theory are going to stay relevant for three, four or five years. If, if you draft the right guys, you just probably have to wait a year maybe to get maximum production out of DeAndre Swift, out of J.K. Dobbins, et cetera. Um, so I would prefer to, to go with that strategy as opposed to paying a lot for Zeke and McCaffrey. So is there any like instance, like let's say you've got three rookie running backs. Like, is, is there any way you could figure out a way to, to roster somebody like Todd Gurley, David Johnson, who we, we know are on their way out of the league, but are because of that are probably going to come at a price lower than they might actually produce. I guess you could. I think my, I guess my thought is that I'd rather, if I'm going to invest in Dobbins, Akers, and these young guys for the future, I'd rather take a few more young dart throws than put that money toward Gurley and um, who was the second guy you mentioned? Uh, David Johnson. David Johnson, yeah, Gurley and David Johnson. Um, just because you're already you're already investing a good amount in in young players that may not help you that much in year one. So by investing in guys like Johnson and Gurley year one, they might help you like have a mediocre team. But I don't I don't know if they're going to put you over the top um, right away. And, and then they're not going to have any trade value in 2021 yeah. and 2022. So then you, then you just basically spend that money for nothing. What to come in like fourth or fifth place maybe. So I, I'd yeah. rather go 
if I'm going Acres and Dobbins, I I'm going to take some shots on some other young guys too because you're not you're not going to hit all of your young unproven players. So the more shots you take, the the better odds you're going to have of 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 getting three or four really good players um, out of that class. Yeah, and if if you're competitive, you can always. It's way easier to trade for a a veteran who's producing than to trade someone uh, a veteran that's producing for some rookie. So you can kind of like trade for guys on demand if you need True. that extra. Yeah. Absolutely, it makes right. sense. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I I more so ask those questions not because I I disagree with you. I think if you're doing a startup draft right now, the, the crop of incoming running backs and wide receivers is is really really lends itself to building a young team and and i think it it may even potentially you know you might actually have to overpay for potential at those positions that might be true the the fortunate thing is there are so many of them yeah more so a receiver that you probably can reach a point where like there's such a big tier that maybe the last couple guys or the middle of that tier is going to be fairly inexpensive i mean it's i think we all agree that you you of course want to go young in your startup draft and any league you do most people are going to have that strategy so the reason why i even leave like going old or going with vets as as a strategy is because you might get great discount you could probably put together a team of i said Gurley, gordon carson fournette um what do you, you could get julio jones probably for fairly cheap in a, a startup um aj green i don't know what the interest is in in him um and, th- and those guys all could have very good 2020 seasons and if your goal is to win a championship you you theoretically could challenge for a championship with with that core and then your team might be terrible in 2021 and 2022 yeah. and then and then you have to figure it out from there um i wouldn't recommend that strategy because you don't have you don't have the capital to make trades. You would have to really rebuild solely through the draft. Um, but you, I think you could put together a contender immediately just based on veterans. Yeah. I definitely regret drafting a Rex Burkhead in my, my dynasty startup draft. I went all (laughs) young and grabbed him because he was supposedly cheap, but I never got anything out of him. You had a lot of hype though. It was, I mean, I think you may have, if you got lucky and you started him those weeks where, you know, he paid off, but like you just never were confident. I mean, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. That right there. Um, yeah. No, I, I think, I think young, especially if you're starting today is good. There's just so much depth. So yeah. Much. Next and, year is such a wild card that who knows what right, next year's I mean, is for look sure. Like. Yeah. All right, yeah. so that's mine. My uh, my don't is don't hedge. Pick one, go with it. If you're going to go young, be cool with not being that good year one. It's not that big of a deal. It can change very quickly. All right, my uh, my do is uh, this is something that I wish I had done because I, my team would have been a lot better a lot sooner, I think. Um, and that's to grab one of the 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 best young tight ends that are available in the in the the auction draft. Um, I wish I'd like, if I was starting now, I would probably target Kittle, Mark Andrews or uh, Engram and maybe, maybe Waller if you believe in him. I actually have him, but I, I don't know if I totally believe in him. Um, But I think that there's, 
a big enough drop off at tight end and it's such a hard position to scout like who's going to actually be good and it takes them so long to like to pan yeah. out it, it's like wide receiver but they also have to learn how to block and run routes because they didn't really have to do that in college unless they're like a full-time blocker and then they're not going to be any good in fantasy anyway um so yeah yeah i drafted uh goddard get uh i don't know how to say his name um the guy at miami and um hooper and like it's been three years and Hooper was kind of, he was like a pretty crappy start. So it kind of sucks when you have like a bunch of like dart throws and you have to decide which one to start week to week. And it just sort of like weighs your team down. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. Um, You know, I, I, to show like how much I value that position, I have Evan Ingram and last year with my first round pick, I picked Hawkinson. And part of that was if you have, you know, there's really only ever seemingly five guys who are are consistent performers at that position in any given season. So if you have two of them, you know, you're, and because you can start them at the flex, that's huge. And I also think if the, the best tight end is going to give you, wide receiver one numbers but they don't come with the wide receiver one price which is kind of ridiculous you know gronk would win you leagues at points in time but he was probably ten dollars less than the the top wide receiver you know so I, i absolutely agree I think right now Kittle's the only one I would really spend a lot for because yeah. of his age and he's been pretty durable. And he's just, I think he's just like, he's awesome. He, I mean, he's, he's clearly, I think he's better by a good margin than every tight end in the league. Uh, if you miss out on Kittle, I mean, Kelsey is getting up there. I think you'd still, you, you know what you're getting in him and he's a big difference maker. So I think you can still spend a good amount on him, but I see if I miss out on those guys and I just am not willing to pay as much as, as someone else's, I'm fine with not spending a lot at that position because I think there's a huge tier of pretty young guys and it's just a matter. Maybe you grab a couple of them. Maybe you grab Johnny Smith and uh, Goddard is a good example. Um, yeah. Or even, even buy low on someone like OJ Howard and, and see what happens sure. there. I think you can cobble it together with a number of young players and you don't have to spend a lot um on guys in the you know in the in the three four five six range someone i mean who who even is who's like ranked like fifth right now as a tight end that's like Evan ingram territory ingram. I guess I would say. yeah yeah, ingram, I think so. yeah right yeah, and i mean as as the as the owner of evan ingram super frustrating like super <laughs> super frustrating well, that you team's going to be better. For sure. I mean, I haven't traded him because I've never received a trade where I feel as though it, it accounts properly for his his potential. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with Kevin. I think I'm if we did a startup draft tomorrow, I'm going almost all in on Kittle. 
Yeah. Like that, that's a huge cornerstone piece for me. I think yeah. he's going to put up Gronk like numbers throughout his career. Yeah. And you could probably get Hunter Henry for pretty cheap at this point comparatively. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. I just think there's a little, it's a pretty after Kittle and Kelsey and I, I just don't love Zach Ertz because I think God, I just think God yeah, he's is old. Really he's getting too. old. And he's getting old too. After Kittle, Kittle, Kittle and Kelsey, there's just a ton of young guys and some are going to miss TJ yeah. Hawkinson might end up never being good, but like you can get TJ Hawkinson in a startup for very, very cheap. So to me, that's worth the flyer to go Hawkinson, yeah. um, Johnny Smith, yeah. Goddard. Yeah. And, and then hopefully one of those guys emerges. The, the only thing yeah. about that, that strategy that I've been living is that you then have to <laughs> devote a significant amount of your bench to, to having all these tight end flyers. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of the good thing about dynasty though. It's just, the, if you're dealing with, and ours might be a little bigger because I think we're carrying 30 or 32 with IR spots right now. You, you're going to have, a, you know, I have, I think I have five or six or seven tight ends and I don't feel like I'm really thin at any other position. I just think it, the format allows you to, yeah. kind of take those flyers and and be okay with it right I, I think you can be weak at a position and you know but fill your bench up with it to try to bolster it so that you can you know potentially play good matchups you know at that position which you know might be i mean i i truly think that like kittle is tier one by himself i agree Kelsey is tier two and probably by himself. And then I think there's... I like like Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews had a good season. I like him. I would, you know, definitely, you know, at the right price, love to have him as my tight end. Um, Mm -hmm. But like he... Part of it is like Lamar Jackson can't have the year he had last year. No. And... You know, I think he, like, some some ridiculous stat, like, 9% of his completions were touchdowns or something. And, like, Mark Andrews was a gigantic beneficiary of that. And that's not to discredit what he did, but, like, as Lamar Jackson, you know, returns to earth or just, you know, probably can't put up the same stats, ultimately, Andrews come down. Andrews is definitely, like, higher up in Tier 3 for me. You know, I think it's it's Ertz, him, um, Ingram, Waller, and I, and I think Waller. You know, I don't know if you guys watched Hard Knocks last year, but like you know, when he was such a huge part of it, you know, he really got his life in line. That was a major storyline, and he was really good with a not very good quarterback, and they added some weapons that should hopefully you know alleviate you know, the middle of the field for him. So I, I, I think he could be a really good player moving. Yeah, forward. I watched I watched Hard Knocks and I I bit him off the the the, the free agent waiver wire. Yeah. I, I mean pretty happy. There's something there is I mean this isn't necessarily the, the the time to talk about it, but the hard knocks hype is a hard thing to avoid going into any fantasy draft like they do such a fantastic job of selling you on garbage 
Oh, actually, I know what I did. I didn't watch it. I bought him assuming they were going to hype the players up, and I thought I was going to trade him, but he actually turned out to be pretty good, so I never traded him. Yeah, but I mean, like, that is that is actually a great, you know, like, we don't need to go in on that, but, like, that's, you know, I've definitely fallen victim to the, the hype of that show. Yeah, Jarvis Landry. <laughs> you know, I think that... uh Jarvis Landry could be a perfect segue to Kevin's uh, do on uh, wide receivers. My do on wide receivers. Um, So this is, I think if you're going to spend a a significant amount of money on one single player, I want that to be on a wide receiver, not a running back. Um, I want to spend... I, I don't know how much Michael Thomas would go for right now in a startup. Probably a ridiculous amount. Um, I took him two years ago, and he was still pretty – I think I spent 60 you bucks sp- on him. You spent uh, 60, 60 bucks yeah. on him. He was the second most expensive wide receiver in our draft, only behind DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, there you go. Yep, so I spent 60 bucks out of a 250 budget um, on Thomas, and I would certainly do that again on him. Um, there are a number of other receivers, I think that are just super safe and you can just my thinking was like maybe he doesn't have the highest upside ever but you know you can just plug that guy in for five to six years and he's gonna be in your lineup all the time um he he's a special case because he's also like extremely durable he's very consistent um but there are other receivers that like you know i would feel very comfortable spending a good amount on say chris godwin he's really young has shown a ton of improvement each year. Um, and he's someone you know you're going to have for five years and he's going to be good. There, there's little doubt about that. Unless something happens and that, that's kind of out of your control and you can't predict, he's going to be very good for the next five years. Running backs, I don't know what that's going to look like in three or four years. I don't really want to spend. We, Mike asked me before about like going for McCaffrey or Zeke Elliott. I don't feel great about spending a lot of money on either of those guys. In three years, I don't know how good they're going to be. I don't know if they're even going to be RB1s. Um, I'd feel much more confident about your wide receivers staying in that top 12 than the running backs. There's just so much turnover from year to year. If we go back to our startup, uh, and I think Mike was looking at some of the auction values, the top running backs were probably, in terms of how much they cost, were probably Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, um, who's still good. David Johnson was probably a ton of money. I don't know how much like yeah. Devontae Freeman was. I mean, Melvin Gordon was probably very expensive. These guys just don't, they just don't sustain beyond a couple of years, except yeah. in very rare cases. So that's not to say I don't want to spend money on running backs because they're the highest scoring position. And in some, I'm probably spending more, but I'm going to spread that money at running back out across five or six young players. And if I'm going to commit a lot of money to one single player, it's going to be a wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said this to you before. I don't know if we've spoke about it, Dave, but like, I, I believe Michael Thomas to be the most valuable piece in dynasty fantasy football. He is performing at such an elite level. I don't think he's the, you know, he, he did it with Teddy Bridgewater. So it's not, dependent yeah. upon Drew Brees. Um, 
you know, I, I did a little bit of research and like the dominant runs of the running backs are just shorter than the dominant runs of the wide receivers. And I think you're really, you know, right now starting up, you're missing out on the beginning of that dominant run. But I think if you were to take the next five, six seasons and you are going to look at the total points across those six years, that it's probably, he's probably outscoring uh, McCaffrey and Barkley by a lot. Like, I, I think it's, you know, a, a large gap. Um, I'm trying to pull up the data to, to, um, so yeah, so when we, when we started, people paid more money for DeAndre Hopkins, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, and Todd Gurley. I don't think I'm paying more money for any of those guys right now. Maybe Saquon Barkley, and he's $13 more than Michael Thomas. So that just still feels like a better value to me yeah i think i was a little drunk when i was doing that draft <laughs> <laughs> i hit up barkley that high but, uh, no i mean <laughs> it's, not like he's, it's not like you got Devonte freeman or something like he, he's yeah but he's a rookie like i don't even know if i'd do that now yeah i mean doug paid, i mean doug paid 35 dollars for Devonta freeman which feels rough yeah doesn't feel good yeah no. Yeah. And that, that's what I mean. And the, the, I mean, we talked really about Michael Thomas, but there are, I mean, I don't know. I'd feel good about, I said Godwin, you do get into kind of a tricky range with, with Hopkins and Devontae Adams. Cause they are a little bit older than you'd like. I think they're in their late twenties. So I don't, I don't know if I can confidently say that Hopkins is going to be awesome for the next five years. He's probably, I think he's probably still got at least three very productive years left in him. Um, it's just, it's just a much say, even if you don't think like, even if you think like, yeah, okay. Hopkins, maybe his window is not quite as big as, as uh, Michael Thomas or, or Godwin. It's just a much safer pick to invest 50 bucks, 40 bucks or 45 bucks in him than it is in some of the running backs that, that are going to, cost that much because you just don't know where they're going to end up. And not only, not only three or four years, I mean, you don't know where some of those guys are going to end up in, in one year, their, their value just falls off a cliff. I mean, David Johnson, Devontae Freeman are, are probably the, the two prime examples, but there, I'm sure there's going to be a couple others coming up um, that just really go from being top, considered like top 20 top 10 dynasty assets to being basically untradeable yeah and i mean i think it there's a weird stigma amount around wide receivers like the person in in just like a standard snake draft who takes the first wide receiver off the board they almost seem disappointed you know they're like it feels as though they're like sad they're getting michael thomas and they missed out on joe mixon Right. Which just like feels so wrong. But like, would you guys agree? Fear. Yeah, I would. Yeah. It's just like that fear that if you go wide receiver up high, you're going to end up with like Sony Michelle as your, yeah. as your, your starting running back. Cause the, those I, guys come off the board so quick. 
Yeah, I, well, I think people got burned for so long, like because it used to be Reggie Wayne was the perennial number one overall because he was so good, and then for ten years, nine, nine, ten years, like it shifted to to RB, and like I don't know, I I, I just don't think there's been a wide receiver that has been this dominant for a while. So maybe maybe it's a new paradigm. I don't know. I so things change. Antonio Brown, I believe I want to say 4 years ago, I want to say after his maybe his second really good season, I think he was ESPN's number 1 guy. Mm. Yeah. That's, and that's possible. I think if you if you got in on, you know, he had a ridiculous run and realistically if he wasn't, you know, a pain in the ass, not great person. He probably would still be on that run. Sure. You know, the, the little bit we saw of him on the field, you know, he's probably in a startup draft. Antonio Brown probably goes for more than $1. And that feels crazy for a guy <laughs> who may never play, but it also shows you like there is value in him at, and at that position, like that's, uh, you know, but like, yeah, I think if you can get the wide receiver who has that pedigree, that potential, it's, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a much better cornerstone than the sixth or seventh best running back. Yeah. That's a good way yeah. to put it. That's what I, that's what I should have said at the top. It's just, it's a very, it's just much safer. You know what you're getting with most of those guys. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And like the fantasy points above replacement, which is not a real stat yet, uh, as far as I know. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's probably a lot higher that. for a wide receiver than running back. It's like a lot easier to get like a kind of like slightly, like it's a, it's a lot easier to get a replacement wide receiver. Like you can stock up on guys who are like not quite oh, good yeah. enough to start on like a, like a, yeah. yeah. A I mean, playoff. I think the, uh, I think the replacement level wide receiver averages about six points a game. Any, any redraft yeah. league, you go to the waiver wire on a Sunday, every available player that's not a quarterback is a guy who projects to score about six points. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you, Kevin, if you were to fail, you know, you swing and miss on Hopkins, Adams, Juju, do you have a, would you just like pivot completely to like, all right, I'm going to get, uh, you know, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, or are you still going to maybe like take a look at a Tyreek Hill type maybe. player? Right. Um, that's a good question. Maybe I might pivot to the Lamb, Judy, and probably not going to be that good year one, but See, the thing is, with receiver, the reason why I could only come up with a couple of names, like Thomas Godwin, um, Hopkins, Devontae, because there is, you know, you, like Tyree Kill is a great player, but like how much do you really trust him to be playing in four years? I and mean, he has his own, there's just issues with him. There, he really might not, he might not be in the league. So guys, he scares me a little bit. Uh, I don't know if I would pay a lot for him specifically in an auction draft. Um, and then even like Devonte Adams, like he scares me too. Cause Rogers might not be his quarterback for 
you know, beyond this year. So then you get into, you know, what if, how's Devontae Adams going to look at age 29 with, um, with Jordan Love playing quarterback? Is that really worth spending a lot on? So yeah. there are, there are some questions at that position uh, specific to the individual players. I think like conceptually, when you look at that position, usually those guys are a little bit safer and they're also not, they just don't get injured as much too. And I think one, just one other point to add, one of the reasons I think we've seen a a really um, dramatic shift to running backs, especially in redraft the last couple of years is because they've actually had pretty good injury luck. You haven't seen guys like McCaffrey, like Zeke, the top guys, when you pick them, you're getting good returns. We go back to 2015 I mean, it was an absolute disaster. I mean, they, all the top running backs picked in the first round were always getting injured. So I think the reaction to that was to start drafting wide receivers. So I wonder if, you know, coming up in the next couple of years, if we do see more injuries to the top running backs, if the general consensus will, again, shift to, yeah, maybe we should pay a little bit more for wide receivers just because of their safety. Yeah, and I mean, I think you have to almost kind of take into effect with your with your top tier guys. I think you can only realistically expect to get what you paid. You're not going to find, you know, like Michael Thomas is never going to be a value play. Right. You know, like you have to, you know, you can't draft Michael Thomas and be like, well, he scored 250 points this year. I'm disappointed he didn't improve to 275. And I guess, you know, I maybe could have made it more concise. The question would be, like, let's say, are you going to overspend to get one of those elite wide receivers and not have to go that other route of youth? Would you find that valuable? I don't think you would have to overspend because they're probably, even if you put Thomas in his own category, if you look at, like, the top 10 to 12, I'm pretty – comfortable i mean i, I kind of grade those guys all about the same so um like i'd be okay taking juju for example and um you're not going to spend as much on juju as you would on, on thomas but I, I still would feel okay with taking him or taking um even like a mike evans or amari cooper someone like that and those guys aren't they're not michael thomas but you're you're pretty confident that they're going to be good for four to five years and you're you're always going to have them in your starting lineup you don't have to worry about matchups or anything like that they're they in the the case of cooper you have some injury questions but like they're reliable like you know what you're getting with your money other running backs you just you really really don't know it's very hard to project beyond one year two years yeah, I mean, all right. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to see if there was anything that would, you know, kind of get you off that stance. But I think you have made a good point, and I, I truly believe that Michael Thomas is the best piece you can have. So, I mean, we t- we talked about it a little bit there, and and my next do is um, you got to look at potential, even though things for your your draft are starting now. You know, these players aren't starting now, and there's when I wish I could say that I did this on purpose, but, you know, by overspending on Le'Veon Bell, I, you know, ended up slightly more creative building out my wide receiver position. And I ended up with Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and Juju Smith-Schuster. 
which like in the year 2020, you're like, that's, it's about as good a wide receiver core as you could ever plan, you know, try to have. And, you know, I got, I got all those guys for good value because they hadn't done it yet, but the evidence showed they were projecting well. Juju had just come off his rookie season where he, you know, really, you know, hit the ground running. Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill had, you know, begun to transition out of the role of, you know, gadget player, punt returner. It was, it was obvious the Chiefs were going to try to get the ball in his hands because things were happening. And I think Devontae Adams had some, he was the most expensive of the three, but he had been steadily improving and, the rest of that wide receiver core was was leaving. You know the uh, the Randall Cobbs and and those such you know those players who had taken you know wide receiver one spots were no longer going to have them. And you know I don't think you could do you know get those guys at the value you did today like today. But I also think you could potentially look at guys like AJ Brown, Kenny Galladay. C.D. Lamb, uh, Debo Samuel, Terry, uh, what's his name, Dave? I can't think of his last name. Terry McLaurin. McLaurin. Yeah. You know, I think, I think you can build a core and, and just look at what those dudes have been doing. And, and the trajectory is pretty obviously up. Whereas I, I tried to look at our draft when I did it and I spent $96 on Adams Hill and Juju. And then I took Hopkins, our most expensive player, and then tried to add a wide receiver who would, you know, get to about that number. And it was Allen Robinson. And it's like, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no person. I don't care how much you love Allen Robinson. Who's picking Hopkins. Yeah, but are you picking are you picking Adams Hill and Juju, or are you picking Hopkins and Allen Robinson? I'll take your three. Yeah, so you know, I think I think you 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 got to look at what's projecting and trending well, and you know, it, it's going to take time. Like you really have to look, you know, figure out, you know, look at players like like a Tyreek Hill who who came into the league, you know definitely wasn't a first round pick. I'm not exactly sure where he was, but it, they always like, somehow I feel like the announcers almost always hype up these guys properly. They get on the field and like, they almost project in the way they speak about them, how, how things look for them. Like Hill was on the field and they, you know, talking about how he's the fastest guy. Every time he gets the ball in his hands, something happens. Like, and, and you can see that like in, in an A.J. Brown. You know, A.J. Brown had a strong rookie season. Is he as good as Michael Thomas now? No, he's not in that. He's not in that category yet. But I don't think it's unrealistic for A.J. Brown to hit those levels. Sure. And he had who, – who was throwing to him? It was Mariota? Mariota. Well, then Tannehill. And then Tannehill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I just think you have to there there's great value in looking at potential. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like in, in like a rookie draft at towards the end of it where like all the players are like, who knows 
it might be good to target those people who have a high ceiling but have like issues coming into the the draft because you're potentially going to get someone who has a high ceiling at a at a discount and you're going to know uh pretty quickly whether or not they're actually going to pan out and you can pivot pretty fast yeah i think that's basically the that's like the most important thing in any startup draft i think is just trying to load up on on potential and um i mean i can think back to our startup and my strategy might be an extreme example because i really really went young but just looking at my receivers i went Cortland sutton calvin ridley james washington anthony miller so those were a lot of receivers that were picked pretty high they were rookies that year a couple of them haven't worked out at all um a couple have so like you're not you're not going to hit every single one. And I think that's important this year when you have this 2020 rookie class of receivers is touted as maybe one of the, the deepest ever. If you, if you end up taking four of those guys, you're probably going to hit two. And that's, that's still, I mean, depending on what the ceiling ends up being for those two, it might be really good. And I, I just, I think it's totally worth it to invest that money in, in T Higgins instead of going with, the you know a known commodity like a um like Jarvis Landry came up earlier like someone who's pretty safe but you know he's never going to be great I'd rather go with all young guys and yeah a couple you're not going to hit on but you know what they still might have some name value after year one and if you really don't feel good about them you can always try to flip them in a trade and get something in return maybe it's not a great draft pick but something to give you options for the future yeah. yeah, and I think you can kind of look at it as like let's let's say uh, you know you get four of these rookies and the average cost to them is twenty, so they they cost you eighty dollars. It's not unreasonable for two of them to become guys in future startup drafts who are fifty dollar players, and even yeah. if those other guys stink, like you didn't, you know, you you, you slide the value around and it it still works out in your favor. Yeah, hopefully that's a good way to put it definitely yeah but and you should probably also target players who haven't like wide receivers that haven't hit yet and it's taken them a little longer than people expected because some of those guys you're going to get them much cheaper and some of them will pan out because sometimes it takes a wide receiver like three or four years like christian kirk could still be really good Right. Yeah, no, and you're, and you're really, and like, I don't think you're going to be too mad in the long run if you spent $8 on Kevin White. Right. Yeah. It like, you're, so like, you know, like that's not going to bum you out. So. I agree. Yeah, it happens. And then to Dave's point, like you have a starter draft today. How much is Nikhil Harry going for? How much are some of those guys who didn't do anything last year? I still think Nikhil Harry might have some upside. Um, yeah, he's had Christian, Christian Kirk, a good one too. So they're just, just look at the dynasty receiver rankings. There are just so many young receivers. And if you just take enough shots, you're, you're going to see great value on a few of those guys. Yeah. And I mean, I think another guy that we haven't mentioned too, could kind of fall into that is, is Michael Gallup. He's, he's probably only going to get better. Uh, you know, just his trajectory has been pretty good. Amari Cooper, I think, isn't nearly as good as he is. CeeDee Lamb is going to command, you know, attention when all three of those guys are on the field. You know, that might really benefit Gallup the most. 
So yeah, and he's. Yeah. I'm sure Gallup owners are probably pretty frustrated with the situation. <laughs> so you probably could get him. I don't know. Throw a second round pick out there. Might be able to get him. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Uh, let's. Uh. Yeah. So my my uh my do not was uh I I this might be like kind of stereotypical at this point, but unless you're in a super flex or two QB league, uh, I really don't want to spend that much on a QB. Uh, I think you can get a, like a starting Cal. I mean like this year, Lamar Miller, I mean, uh, Lamar Jackson and, uh, Mahomes, they just came off of like huge years that probably neither of them will totally replicate. Uh, I'm, I'm not willing to pay the prices to get them to get, an extra like 80 fantasy points over the next eight QBs. So if it's a standard one QB league, I'm going to try to get one of those top 10 QBs, but the ones towards the back half they're you could probably get them for like nine bucks in like a dynasty auction. Right. Like that, they really don't cost that much. Whereas like a, a, a Lamar Jackson or a Mahomes is going to cost you like, 40 maybe more depending on if they're getting bit up and you decide you'd like absolutely have to have one of those two guys and uh, so, i don't know it's a it, it's a little hypocritical because i just traded for lamar jackson but <laughs> I, well, I i have a situation i needed a qb so well so i mean two things and i am and one of these may be just weirdly specific to our league i looked at who the most expensive quarterback in our league was when we started it, some it was Aaron Rodgers for fifteen dollars, <laughs> wow. which is is crazy. And I think when we started, the league was in an odd place. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, uh, Lamar Jackson—they hadn't really done anything yet. Yeah. And then like that top, the the top guys, the 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 Brady, the Breeze, um, you know they. That, you know, we, we were all we were all smart enough to you know we're like okay those those guys are on their way out. Yeah. So like we, you know, but I I kind of disagree with you. It it's not a you know I'm a, a total disagreement. Um, you know I think you know weirdly at the top you pay significantly more money for slightly more points. If that makes like sense in, you know, you, you know, you pay, pay so much more money for a 14 point a game running back than you do a 10 point a game running back. But the difference between the eight point a game and 10 point a game running back is, is like almost negligible. So I, I kind of think there's sneaky value in potentially taking one of those um, you know, super expensive quarterbacks. It's, it's really, I think it can be really nice to know that you're just not going to get any stinkers at that position. And, yep. you know, I think, you know, I look at, um, I look at Lamar Jackson and his, his lowest point, and I'm going to lead out with, I don't think Lamar Jackson is having the same season he did last year ever again, but his lowest game 
you know, that wasn't, you know, something where he like sat out or whatever. It was 11 points. And then it jumped up to 19 points and he finished averaging per game that he played with 28 points a game, which is like big. That's, that's a lot of points you're getting from a player like him. Whereas like I view a Matt Ryan, Josh Allen, like, is that like what you're kind of thinking is like a nine, $10 quarterback, maybe like Josh Allen more so than Matt Ryan. I mean, it drops off pretty fast. Like even like the fourth or fifth quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just think it's like, you know, Josh Allen's worst game was like eight points. He had a 10 point game. He had a 15 point game, you know, and and he did have a couple of like games in the thirties, but I just, I just think there can be some value in knowing that sure you really don't have to worry yeah you know I, I don't know in in the rookie drafts the quarterbacks usually are so discounted as well that i don't know I, I feel like i'd rather just take flyers going forward and just have someone who's startable and maybe yeah and i mean and part of my part of my you know it this is like very 2020 centric thought is like I think you can put the money towards Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes because you can get players like the wide receiver class, the running back class from this year cheap. Yeah. But that might just be this year. Right. Right. Like that's what I'm saying is it's very 2020 centric. I think it's just a, um, you know, if, if you, if you choose to go that direction, I can see, a very clear path to follow you know sure spend spend to get lamar jackson and maybe you know if he averaged 28 points a game in in games that he played even if he hits 24 you know you know he averaged seven points more than the next qb and like that there's that gap that's a big gap and that comes at you know a discount compared to like that gap at right running back true you know but i don't yeah these mobile court quarterbacks there's yet to be one that like totally has played out a career yeah i i i I think lamar jackson i if i if i'm building a team and i'm choosing to build it by having the best what i believe is the best quarterback i'm still taking patrick mahomes Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I like him more. Uh, you know, I don't think I'd be unhappy if I went that route and I ended up with Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's like coming crashing back to earth. But uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that is the other side of the argument. Yeah, and it feels good to have a player that's that good on your team. Like you get a little happy on Sunday. Yeah. You actually like want to watch know, the it's game. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to just plug him in and not have to worry about the position and not be in the position where you're like, like last year I had, well, I went in with Andrew Luck, Drew Brees as my top two. And then suddenly I didn't have a top two anymore because Luck retired and Brees got hurt. And I was looking at like Matthew Stafford and Garoppolo and like, there's a big tier of guys who are pretty similar. Um, and if you don't get Mahomes or Jackson or 
Watson, if you want to put him up there, I think you have to then settle for one of those guys. Like uh, you're not, I don't know. I don't have much, I don't know how you guys feel, but do you have much interest in paying significantly more for Dak Prescott than you would, or, or would you rather take like a Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford at, you know, like $10 cheaper? Yeah. I mean, I like Dak Prescott. I don't know how much more I'm paying for him. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think one of the things that ultimately affects fantasy is like you can't win with a field general, whereas you can win in the NFL. A player, you know, a player like a Jimmy Garoppolo can make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but he's not. He's and not Alex contributing. Smith. Yeah, you're, those these guys aren't just contributing fantasy, you know, type players. You know, Jimmy yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. All right. So we have uh, we have a couple of bonus uh, do's and don'ts. I threw in one at the last second here. Uh, my final do is going to be to, to chase handcuffs in your startup draft. I know there's always a lot of talk each year about handcuffs, but I don't know how many people in redraft actually use handcuffs just because you're fairly limited. If you have 15 roster spots, you can't handcuff all your running backs. It's yeah. a, it would be impractical to do that. Um, when you're talking about a roster size of 25, 30, you have spots to play with. So it's if you're going to invest a lot of money in Ezekiel Elliott, I think it makes sense to spend a little bit on Tony Pollard too, just to cover yourself there. Um, and I, I think that it's just much easier to do that in a dynasty league uh, than it is in, in any other league. And I would advise people if, if you're going to make that, that big investment for one of those top running backs, you want to cover yourself and make sure you have his backup. Sure. And you shouldn't be afraid to steal someone else's handcuff because it is a long format. So if you believe in them, don't be afraid to, to bid, bid up on them if, if you have to. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, like, I, I, like those are high upside. It goes to Mike's point about potential. Like those, a lot of those guys are just very high upside players. Yeah. And like Tony Pollard is someone I would pay a decent amount for in a start. Like Derek, Derek Henry when DeMarco Murray was his. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's exactly, exactly what it is. And I think um, it, it goes beyond like the, just the, the popular view of the handcuff is like, Oh, the, the clear backup. I also kind of like investing in backfields that you don't have a great sense for what's going to happen. Um, but you know that they, they have a, a team that could end up being pretty effective running the ball. If one player emerges. I look at the Patriots this year with Sony Michelle was awful last year and is probably pretty cheap in startups. If I get him, I'm thinking I can get Damian Harris for a couple of bucks too. Um, just in case Harris is the one that emerges and then you, you have the Patriots starting running back. Um, I think a couple of years ago when we did it, I went for Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I didn't know which one was going to be good, but I knew that I likely had the Packers starting running back in one of those two guys. So I, I like that strategy as well. Um, and I don't know if there are any other examples beyond the Pats this year, but do going Michelle and Damian Harris to me is makes a lot of sense. And I think you can see a massive return for not a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the San Francisco spot is a little 
up in the air, you know, Denver yeah, with yeah, Lindsay get me some and Gordon. Um, you know, that Seahawks backfield is going to be, you know, pretty interesting with Carson, Penny, Carlos Hyde. Um, you know, I, I do Ravens really might like, be interesting. Yeah. Um, I do. I do really like the idea of getting like a Tony Pollard. Cause I think Tony Pollard is a good NFL running back. He's looked really good. Like you can actually see a return on it. I don't know how I feel about your Patriots. You know, like I'm, I'm not chasing Damian Harris very hard. Damian Harris. Well, the point is you won't have to chase him very hard. No right. one wants Damian Harris. You'll get him for three or four bucks in an auction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, you know, my, I don't know how much I would, you know, I can't, I can't foresee myself pursuing that. I can, I can see your logic. Um, and like, maybe, maybe the, the, the draft doesn't pan out for me. And I, I just take like one of these wacky backfields that's full of, you know, uncertainty, but you know, I, I think I like the price of Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, even though it's, you know, probably 10 times the price of Sony Michelle and Damian Harris. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're getting something very good there in Pollard and Elliott. Like if Elliott gets hurt, Pollard is going to be good. There's basically no question about that. You can look at, he's more expensive right now, but like if, you took Alexander Madison for Dalvin Cook, you're probably in a good position too. Um, there are a lot of backfields, I think, that are like that. It does get a little dicey when you're looking at like the Bengals, for example. It's, I mean, Geo has taken over for Mixon in past years, but they have a lot of other young guys, so it's hard to project out which one would actually be the handcuff um, if Mixon were to go down. So I wouldn't force the strategy, but when it's very obvious in Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if there are backfields that are uncertain, that are, are really cheap, really good value. I thought the Packers a couple of years ago, I think the Patriots this year, I think the, it's just not a, it's to go Sony Michelle and Damian Harris is just not a heavy investment. Like you're, you're just not putting a lot of money to get those two players. And I, we just disagree on that. I think they're going to be a good running team going forward. So I think that you could see something from one of those guys. Yeah, I, absolutely. I'm, you know, uh, what, what do you think about like the, the bears backfield? You know, they've used Terry Cohen pretty heavily, but he doesn't necessarily, he's, he's probably never a three down running back in the league, but like David Montgomery, you know, the little bit of him I saw last year, he looked good, but I also don't think he's going to bump Cohen off the field that much either. I think Montgomery seems like he's a pretty decent value right now. I don't, I mean, I can't say I watched every Bears game. I was not particularly impressed with him. I think he was pretty strong and he's got good balance, but he just really looked, he's not very explosive at all. Um, Not to say you can't succeed like that. Like Le'Veon Bell is not explosive and he obviously was very productive, but I'm not crazy about, and either of those players, if that makes any sense. I don't really – I don't know. I, I've never really been one to target um, pass-catching running backs uh, unless you're playing in a system like, you know, with Philip Rivers or Tom Brady where you you know they're going to get a lot of 
receptions. I, I just I don't know how Tariq Cohen is game to game, but uh, he's probably pretty inconsistent. And if Montgomery gets hurt, Cohen's role probably doesn't change that much. There's just someone else coming in to yeah, fill. Yeah, probably Montgomery. it's probably the 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 RB three becomes the RB. Exactly. One. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan now. Ryan now. Yes. <laughs> I picked up Ryan now for, for one week last year. And I was like, yeah. this, I was like, this guy's going to be, this is going to be good. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. And I wish, I wish I could remember who it was, you know, so we could actually give them the proper credit, but Kevin, at one point you did send me an article recently that breakout running backs are generally not the handcuff. It comes from an uncertain backfield. That's right. Yeah. And then that's, I, I just can't think of a good one beyond the Patriots. I guess you could say the Rams, but yeah. the investment there, I, I don't know how, I mean, Daryl Henderson is probably pretty, he's probably not that expensive. So if you draft Cam Akers and Henderson is reasonable, it makes sense to me to also target Henderson. Yeah, if he's reasonable, uh, and I, and I can't imagine he's not, just because I, I think it's everyone expects Cam Akers to be the starter. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think that is like even a strategy that you can think of moving forward is like perhaps if you have the ch- you know you don't have Ezekiel Elliott, and then you have the choice of Tony Pollard and Daryl Henderson. I don't think they're probably going for the same price, but like Henderson is more likely to break out. And, you know, you can, you can bake that, you know, that potential into his price. Yeah. And he only has one year where he underperformed and some of these yeah. guys that take two or three, like Lamar Miller and Ingram, people are hot on them coming out of the, the rookie drafts, but they didn't do anything for like years, three years. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you can, you know, there was success in, in LA at that position for so long with Todd Gurley. Sure, looks like they kind of screwed that position up starting with Todd Gurley too. But you know, it stands to reason that a strong running back, you know, in that offense will will provide for you. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to hit you with the last um, do. I don't even know if I made it a do or a don't because I don't know how I, I worded it. But uh, don't don't worry about the bottom of your roster. You know, the last five guys. How many of you know? I, I look at mine and I'm like, I have Albert Wilson. I don't know what I paid for him. I've had him the entire time. He's never, <laughs> he's, you know, he's not bad. So I'm not, I'm never cutting him. But if I'm starting him, like we're in a bad place. And, I, and I'm, I'm assuming you guys have those players too that have been on your roster the entire time because there's, there's not a better player available. But they're just, you know, they're your bottom of the roster guy. They're not hitting yeah. the field. So then when you're looking to build out your roster, the depth, there's there's no need to have depth on at the last roster spot. You know, even the NFL doesn't do that. You know, they're not looking, they're not looking for a guy who's gonna make, you know, gigantic, you know, returns. They're looking for a guy who can, you know, be the fifth corner occasionally return kicks and, and be a gunner on special teams. And if, if you're saving, you know, if you want a $3 player is not much better than a $1 player. So if you treat all of those last slots as if, you know, they're all just going to be $1 players, 
you might have five to ten dollars that you can put on top of you know thirty dollars so that like you're you know you're really moving the needle at that point that you're getting a you know a significantly better player or you're using that money to get the player you want because yeah you're not you're not going to be you're not going to be happy that you missed out on Chris Car. You're, you're not going to be, you're going to be mad that you missed out on Chris Carson. You're not going to be happy that you scored, you know, Our car. Hunter Renfro. Like that's just not how it's going to work out. Yeah. And like Hunter Renfro might not be a $1 player, but the point is like the money is better spent tacked on to big money. Uh, yeah. I kind of disagree. As long as there's like, players that i still want i want to have some extra bucks to like outbid people on them um like i i I feel like there's like i got a lot of like tight end depth towards the end of the the auction and like i was bidding against people who also wanted those players so i don't know i feel like till the end of the draft there were still players that i was willing to 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 go for like uh I was trying to save uh, Geis for the very end, and he hasn't panned out. But well, Geis, Geis was also a. I, I I don't know if you can necessarily use him because like his value was weird because of his knee injury. Yeah. Well, I was banking on people who forgot who he was, and yeah, yeah. there are always a couple of guys like that going very late. I think I think Mike Williams won very late in ours too. I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said for saving your money and making sure you outbid, or, or you know, being yeah, being sure you can outbid people at the end because it's not not all the good players come off the board, you know, one through one hundred. The the way the nominations are, like, there's always going to be a couple of really good values available late. You just the problem is you don't know who those players are going to be, and you could regret it because you could end up saving your money for you know guys who just aren't very appealing to you at the end but if you're in a position like we were a couple of years ago and Dave was saying yeah Darius Geis was out there um yeah that that's the person who saved money for Darius Geis that was probably I mean it hasn't panned out but in theory that was possibly worth doing I think the I think depth is actually very important in Dynasty I don't really the last couple of roster spots aren't necessarily but I want to give myself as many young players as I can. And that's, if we're talking about 25 man rosters, I think maybe the last, you know, two, three spots are probably throwaway players, but I would like to give myself chances to land some starters by paying a little bit more than everyone else for some of those young players. Yeah. Yeah, it's not sexy, I mean, but, but I think it, it's a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's crazy that you guys are talking about saving money for Darius Geis, but, <laughs> you know, that's, well, that's just... I mean, I, mean I, 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 know we're, I know we're talking, you know, in the, in three the years past ago. where he, we, where yeah. he, you know, he right. would have been a rookie startup draft that probably been, you know, the second running, you know, running back off the board, probably pick number two. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, you know, but I, I feel like those are more special occasions. I think you're, you know, you're the bottom of your roster is third string running backs, 
wide receiver threes, um, you know, guys who might not even, you know, the guys who are on their way out of the league, you know, like a, a bubble player who might not even make it through training camp. So, you know, to me, there's just not a ton of value there. I'd rather pivot that money to, you know, bump myself up, you know, a tier on, you know, more significant players. That makes sense. Like, yeah, can't argue with that. It's just the way the draft goes sometimes. I don't think it's your top priority, but I think it's something you keep in the back of your mind that, you know, maybe I don't want to spend on this guy. Maybe I'll get someone who's of the same caliber, but like eight to $10 less, and then use that eight to $10 to try to fill out with a couple young bargains at the end. It's, it's tough. I mean, there's uh, both ways definitely make sense. It's just a matter of what your board looks like and kind of adjusting your strategy as the draft goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think with that, you know, do don't whatever you'd like to call it, 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 it is somewhat optimistic. You know, I, you know, I, I love to live in the world where I get $5 to, you know, that, that $5 does get me the player I want. It, it may not happen. And, you know, you pivot, you pivot that to like, perhaps, you know, okay, now I have my, my pick of the litter and, you know, it, it would feel better to be like, well, I got the guy I wanted for my 25th roster spot rather than the guy I had to get, but I would still try to uh, not do it that way. But yeah, there's definitely bargains towards the back end that you're never going to get that opportunity to get those players again for those kinds of prices, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the best value is almost always in those like tier three players, you know, like the Chris Carson's, the Ty, the, the T Y Hilton's, the, the guys who are never going to be, elite but are always going to be pretty good yeah the the high floor guys yeah yeah so definitely all right guys that uh that wraps up our do's and don'ts i think next week our plan is to now take these broad terms we've given you and and kind of put them to real life situations real life players and how to build out a team for a startup draft